Welcome to my true crime episodes on my podcast, NYC Gal Out, about a New York City gal who is out and about in the world and who is no longer in New York City. These episodes are crimes that I have specifically researched and taken a personal interest in, as I've always said about criminology and the worst offenders of society. Truth is stranger than fiction, and in many cases, truth is more evil than anything fiction. Hey guys, it's Lisa from NYC Gal Out. Thank you for joining me back on my In a New York Minute podcast. My true crime podcast this season, we are talking all things Gilgo Beach serial killings, aka Rex Hewerman, aka the Long Island serial killer. So we are giving updates and the latest news about what is going on with the case. It is an ongoing developing case. And of course, we're going to give Mr. Hewerman the benefit of the doubt. And this is still the United States of America. We still have our laws and constitutions that we base this on and part of that is that in this country you are innocent until proven guilty the burden of proof is on the accuser not on the defendant the defendant is automatically the defendant is automatically presumed innocent and again The burden of proof is on those who are accusing, on the accuser, not the accused. The reason why I say this is because, you know, I was thinking about this case and I remember another infamous case in Suffolk County. So there was a 17-year-old boy who came home one night and found his parents dead. Now, if you guys are from Long Island and especially if you guys are from Suffolk County, you know what case I'm talking about. He was 17 years old. He was in shock. And the detective that was handling his case, he basically wrote out, typed out a fucking confession for him and told the 17-year-old kid to sign the confession. If you sign this, you'll go home. Everything will be okay. He was not given an attorney. He was not allowed to contact his uncle who happened to be a lawyer. And this poor kid was sent to jail convicted and he spent like his the majority of his life in prison up to that point because he basically went to jail at 17 years old and he was in prison for as many years as he had been alive he finally was exonerated in his 30s And he sued Suffolk County, sued the state of New York, and they settled with him for like millions of dollars. And the fucking detective that like did all that bullshit even went on to the Oprah Winfield show. He was like a fat fuck. And he was like, I don't care what they say. You're guilty. I know you're guilty. And all this other fucking bullshit. And you could see how uncomfortable the guy was. Like... The poor kid probably has PTSD, you know. I mean, well, he's a grown man now. He's older than I am. Um, But, you know, I I remember watching that Oprah Winfrey uh, show, that episode, and you could just see, like, from his eyes that he has PTSD. Being in prison is 
very traumatic. Lency, she talks about it all the time. She talks about how traumatic prison is. It doesn't matter what kind of prison you could be in like a maximum security prison and you could be in something that is like a camp, something like where Teresa Judici um, from Real Housewife of New Jersey, you know, she was supposedly in some camp where you fucking play tennis and golf or some shit, but it still doesn't matter. It's still very traumatic. And this kid was not in any sort of camp. He was in like a legit prison and uh, you know, thankfully, thankfully, he was able to be exonerated. So that is why it is cases like that, that when I hear all this other stuff, I'm like, no, we are still a country where you are innocent. I know like, I know people usually have it backwards because people, when you see somebody in handcuffs, it's automatically, well, they're in handcuffs. They must be guilty. You know, if they're not guilty, they wouldn't have been arrested. And so even though the presumption is that you're innocent until proven guilty in this country, like most of the rest of the world, this world, you're basically guilty and you have to prove your innocence, which, you know, that's how we as a society look at it. And that's kind of a fucked up outlook because we, especially as Americans, we were taught that, you know, everybody's innocent until proven guilty. But even in the court of law, there is this stigma that if you're being accused, you are guilty, not that you're innocent, but that you're guilty. Anyway, that was just my little rant at the moment. We're going to get back into the case at hand. So the Gilgo Beach Zero Killer case has haunted Long Island for more than a decade. And it seems to have finally been solved. And on July 14, a 59-year-old local architect, Rex Huberman, was arrested and charged with murdering three women whose bodies were discovered in 2010 near Gilgo Beach along Long Island South Shore. Huberman, who lived in nearby Massapequa Park and ran his own firm in Midtown Manhattan, is also the prime suspect in the murder of a fourth woman whose body was found near the other victims. He pleaded not guilty to the charges, Okay, here's what we know about the suspect, the case against him, and all the latest update in this still developing case. So, a judge has ordered Rex Huberman to submit to a DNA swap, which will allow prosecutors to make comparisons to case evidence in their possession. Now, according to reports, the Suffolk County Supreme Court judge, Timothy, Tim, Timothy Massey, I don't know if I pronounced this guy's last name correctly or not, Anyway, some judge in Suffolk County, he ruled against Rex Huberman's lawyer's argument that there was no existing probable cause to compel their client to provide DNA. Prosecutors intend to analyze the sample for any similarities to DNA found on a piece of piece of crust that authorities believe Huberman discarded. They also plan to see if there's a match with a hair found on the body of Megan Waterman, one of the three victims in the case. Here's my problem that I have with this piece of crust. In their documents, in their arrest warrant, and in their um, indictment, they listed the piece of crust as evidence for an arrest. They stated that that piece of crust belonged to Huberman, and they stated that they collected his DNA from that piece of crust. So if you're saying that that piece of crust has his DNA, why now do you need to get an actual DNA 
swap from him to compare it to the piece of crust that you say belonged to him and that was the basis for your arrest warrant and all this other stuff and it's it's shit like this that is confusing and makes me raise an eyebrow to shitty detectives wanna be Sherlock Holmes wanna be Agatha Christie's like no if you are arresting this man because in your arrest warrant you listed as evidence a piece of crust that you said belonged to this man and that's why you're arresting him why now do you need dna to state that you you know we, we wanted to compare it to a piece of crust that we think belongs to him see so that doesn't make sense to me and i feel like it's shit like this that a person that is sitting in a jury trial gets very confused about you know that they don't second question or second guess it like they don't question something like that because they're just probably thinking oh okay his dna matched the pizza crust but they're not realizing that the authorities are saying the piece of crust belongs to him. That was what they were basing their arrest warrant on. That they found this piece of crust, this discarded pizza that belonged to him. And so now, like, when I hear that you're wanting DNA evidence to compare it to the piece of crust, I feel like, okay, well, are you wanting it to match so that you can say, aha, you know, he can't argue that he's not the killer because we took a dna swap and it is a 99.9 percent match to this piece of crust it belongs to him it's like that to me is planting evidence i don't know if you guys are following along on my train of thought but what i am trying to say is that part of their arrest warrant they had to list why he is the suspect why they have probable cause for an arrest and in that probable cause they stated that his DNA matched the victims, that they had did like some sort of freaking stakeout and that they were able to obtain his DNA because he discarded a eaten pizza crust and he threw it away. When you discard something, um, law enforcement can't pick it up and can't use it as DNA because you discarded it, you threw it away, so you don't have any claim to it anymore. So they're saying that he discarded this piece of crust and that with that piece of crust, they were able to use it to compare it to DNA evidence that they already had of the killer. But now if you're saying that that was his piece of crust and that was what you were using to compare it to the evidence that you already have and now you're saying that you want dna to compare it to the pizza crust i kind of feel like are you planting evidence and see like that's what i mean when i say that maybe some of the people on a jury trial won't realize that won't question it because i it doesn't make sense to me and i don't know if it makes sense to any of my listeners out there so according to um, reports, they also plan to see if there's a match with the hair found on the body of Megan Waterman, one of the three victims in the case. Now here's the something with hair. Um, hair, unless there is an actual like um, root ball connected to the hair, 
hair you you cannot you, like there is no dna on hair like for example when you go to get a haircut is dead hair there is no dna on hair unless it is plucked from the root now um men probably won't know what the fuck i'm talking about but women will know what i'm talking about like they will know when i say that you know when you cut your hair there's no root connect to it but now if you were to like pluck out a piece of your hair right now you could see that on the top there is like this little small white root and that's a small little right white root is like very very tiny it's like the size of a knit like a life knit it's, it's, it's like that small but it's the root that is your root now unless a hair has like a root ball attached to it if it's just like a piece of hair that is like you know a hair that like you cut off there's no dna on that and again my brother is a lieutenant in the NYPD so it's not like I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about and I'm watching like CSI Miami and getting this bullshit from freaking you, you know NCIS CSI or whatever the fuck that's not the case anyway um moving on so also I don't know if if you guys know i'm not sure if i mentioned this or not but jane doe number seven she was identified so Gil the gilgo beach investigators have identified jane doe number seven police on long island have determined the identity of a woman whose partial remains were found both on fire island in 1996 and near jones beach in 2011 suffolk county district attorney ray Tenary announced that the woman who investigators have been calling Jane Doe number seven and Fire Island Jane Doe, her name was Karen Regatta. She was 36 years old and she was believed to have been working as an escort when she went missing in 1996. Now, reports state that the police do not think there is a link between Regatta's death and the alleged Gilgo Beach serial killer, Rex Huberman. So, Lindsay and I talked a little bit about this in our episode that we did about the Gilgo Beach killers, or killer. And I stated that, because um, Lindsay was like, you know, well, what are the odds that there are two serial killers out there, you know, killing sex workers and using the same burial grounds? And what I had said to her was like, you know, and here's my thing. First of all, nobody knows where the fuck Jimmy Hoffa is buried. To this day, nobody knows where the hell he's buried. Okay, there's been so many snitches. I mean, like, it was a, it was a rat that brought down John Gotti, right? There's been people that are ratting out other people left and right because they got pinched and they don't want to sit their ass in jail for the rest of their lives. And they rather go into witness protection, and they're willing to give out to give up everybody um, just to save their ass. And I'm just surprised that with all of these old time gangsters, new time gangsters, whatever the fuck, that nobody has been able to locate Jimmy Hoffa. Like, where the hell is he? But anyway, um, back to it. So what I was saying with Lindsay, and go check out that episode. It is available on my true crime podcast this podcast in a new york minute with being your co-host lisa from nyc gal out anyway um what i was saying in that episode was i don't think that there is two 
you know serial killer out there with the same mo who is like you know completely separate from each other but maybe how like in the same way that certain family members in a mafia has a specific dumping ground you, you know like there are certain family mafia family members connected family members where you know they bury they bury bodies in the same location just because they know that that is a good place to hide bodies you know so maybe this serial killer whoever it is whether it's rex huberman or somebody else maybe they had an accomplice and that accomplice also used the beach as a burying site or maybe rex huberman accidentally saw or found this original serial killer or killer bearing a body right because that could happen like sometimes we see crimes and we become witnesses of crimes so you know a normal person when they witness a crime they would call the cops but maybe somebody who is abnormal uh witnessed a crime and instead of reporting the crime to authorities they decided you know hey maybe i'm going to be a copycat or you know i should uh, yeah, hey like this is an actual good place to bury dead bodies i mean i had you know as as a victim of a crime myself my mind is so dark um I make no secret of the fact that I have PTSD. I have a very complex t- PTSD because I was sexually abused as a child. I was molested by a pedophile child molester neighbor. He was 44 years old when I was like nine years old. I was nine years old and he was 44 years old. Um, some ugly white guy named Jeffrey Warren. He lived in the apartment upstairs from ours um in jamaica avenue on 90 it was on 96th street and jamaica avenue the address was 96-12 jamaica avenue there was like an italian bakery on the street level and then you know second floor was the apartment third floor was apartment um so yeah so as somebody who is a you know victim of childhood abuse especially something as horrific as being sexually violated as a child uh my mind does go dark and i i am very i am very skeptical and cynical of people and i i do believe that you know maybe somebody's you, you know like maybe somebody saw somebody committing a crime and instead of reporting them they decided hey like this is actually a good place to bury dead bodies right because i that's just where my mind goes i have a very dark mind but anyway um so laguerra was identified using dna evidence but no charges associated with her disappearance or death has been filed so again law enforcement do not believe that there is a link between the gilgo beach four and so altogether there's 11 victims but he's only being charged with three because the three are connected through like a burlap sack or whatever and the other i guess you know six seven victims are not connected 
uh, or, or they can't find a connection. I mean, yes, they're buried along the same, you know, area, region, but that that's not enough to say it's him. So there has also been some infighting um, involving the Hurman case. The Washington Post is reporting that there was years of conflict between the various fractions working on the Gilgo Beach killings that led to a lengthy delay in solving the case. Prosecutors believe the detectives refused to follow orders and clashed with federal partners. Multiple high-level law enforcement officials familiar with the case said. Detectives, meanwhile, felt that the district attorney at the time, Tim, Tim Sinney, was forcing them to investigate leads they had already ruled out while ratcheting up pressure to solve the case before his 2021 re-election bid. The tension grew so high that at Sinney's urging, the case's longtime lead detective was removed. Hmm. Somehow, as investigators fought with one another, a key piece of information in the case, a witness's description of Huberman's pickup truck got lost in the shuffle, only to resurface recently. So, prosecutors said they have thousands of pages of evidence. In a 10-minute preliminary hearing on August 1st, Suffolk County prosecutors stated they had amassed over 2,500 pages of documents including autopsy reports and photos of the crime scene okay but autopsy reports and photos of the crime scene is not direct evidence of anybody's guilt like an autopsy is like basically you know like like how 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 would you be able to prove uh, unless they have like fucking fingerprints or dna on the autopsy body you like uh, anyway Again, my mind gets very dark. Um, they also have hundreds of hours of video recorded at Huberman's house in Long Island and office in Manhattan. Suffolk County District Attorney Raymond Teneri and Huberman's defense attorney Michael Brown agreed to a protective order that limits the release of evidence to attorneys, according to NBC News. Hurman was in appearance for the hearing but did not speak. The next preliminary hearing will take place on September 27, so not too far along, about about two and a half weeks from now. Hurman's wife asks for privacy. Her name is Asa Elrub, the estranged wife of Rex. She issued a statement through her attorney asking the public for privacy in the wake of his arrest. People Magazine reported that Elrup says she and her two adult children are enduring a profound and indescribable catastrophe. In an interview with the New York Post, Elrup said her kids cried themselves to sleep since the arrest. Elrup described her family and elderly neighbors in their Massapequa Park neighborhood as having their daily lives turned upside down by the enormous police presence in addition to the spectators and news crews. The home itself has been torn apart by police, as shown by pictures obtained by the New York Post. I am pleading with you all to give us space so that we may regain some normalcy in our neighborhood. The statement continue. Many other murders of sex workers, including possible serial, serial killings, remained unsolved. 
The associated press shines a light on the other cold cases around the country. The recent breakthrough and the rekindling of public interest only highlights a painful truth. Many similar cases, like the one in Atlantic City, remain open. Here's something that I had to say about this: When you are a sex worker, you are knowingly carrying a risk. Like when you become a police officer, there is a risk of danger that you are aware that you might kill or kill someone. When you are in the military and you join the military, you know that there is the risk of getting deployed during wartime and dying. When you are a fireman, you know that there is a risk that you are probably going to die by having a building collapse on you or burning to death. When you know, so when you are a sex worker, you know that there is a high chance that you could get robbed, that you could get beaten up, that you could get raped, and that you could get killed. Now, before you fucking haters tell me, well, how can a prosecute? How could how can a prostitute? Be raped, or how could a hooker be raped? Like they're going there to have sex. Yes, they're going there to have sex. But look, a lot of times, these women, and you know, it's not one hundred percent of the time women. It, sometimes there are sex workers who are men. Believe it or not, there are men sex workers out there. But you know, the majority of prostitutions are women. So look, a process, a prostitute, even if she is setting up a meeting with with a John and whatever, a prostitute could go into a situation where she feels uncomfortable, and she's like, "Hey, this, this, I, I'm not comfortable. I'm going to leave." And the client could be like, "Oh no, you're not going anywhere," and then rape her. Or it could be a situation where she goes there expecting this to just be, you know, another routine business transaction, and the guy's like, "No, I'm not going to pay you. I'm going to get what I want for free," and rape her. Or it could be a situation. If you guys ever watched the movie Leaving Las Vegas with Nicholas Cage and Elizabeth Shue,、um, I think Nicholas Cage actually won the Academy Award for that movie. The movie is called Leaving Las Vegas. It's about an alcoholic writer, and he, you know, has a connection with a Las Vegas hooker. Anyway, towards the end of the movie,、um, the character that Elizabeth Shue plays. The prostitute, she, you know, she agrees to like I don't know,、um, have sex with like one of the guys. I don't know if like the guys are having some sort of bachelors or bachelor event or whatever. It's like three men, and she's like, hey, I don't do that. I I don't, you know, I don't do group things. And the guy actually ended up like punching her,、um, assaulting her, and then the three men raped her. So that scene in Leaving Las Vegas, where Elizabeth Shue gets raped by her potential clients, that is a very realistic. That that is probably like the most realistic scene that I have seen in a movie about prostitutes. So, like you know, the freaking pretty woman with Julia Roberts and Richard Gere. That's kind of very much 
bullshit. That is like a 99.9% bullshit movie. But、um, that scene in Leaving Las Vegas, towards the end, when she does get raped by her potential clients, again, that is probably like the most legit scene about a prostitute that I've ever seen in a movie.、Um, but getting back to it, so you know, these sex workers, there is a high probability of getting raped, getting killed, getting assaulted. Uh, getting robbed, even like, yeah, <laughs> getting robbed, you you know. So it, it's 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 something that comes with a lot of risks. Anyway,、um, the FBI would not say how many killings of sex workers in the U.S. remain unsolved. Media accounts and statements from local authorities show a long trail of open cases, from nine women whose bodies were found along highways in Massachusetts, to eleven found dead in New Mexico, and eight more found amid the crawfish farms and swamps of southern Louisiana. The killings of other sex workers in Chicago, New Haven, Connecticut, and Ohio, among other places, also remain a mystery. The AP spoke to Phoenix Kalida, a former sex worker who has become an advocate with the Sex Workers Outreach Project. Police departments often refer to it as an NHI case, no humans involved. She said, "You feel like the only way you'll be remembered is when they catch the serial killer who killed you, and then they'll make film movies about him, and no one will remember your name." Three of her friends, who were also sex workers in Chicago, also turned up dead. You see someone, you become friends with them, and then one day they're suddenly just not there. She said, "We all go out asking around and looking for them, and then a few days later, a body would be found." There's always the specific fear that it's a serial killer. Sometimes we never even get a body back to bury, and we wonder, will law enforcement take it seriously because it's just another sex worker? Okay, so、um, in regards to that, I want to go back to what I was just ranting about. Two minutes earlier. So, again, when you are a sex worker, you have this very high level of risk of being murdered, of being assaulted, of being robbed, of being raped. So, not every single death of a sex worker is a serial killer. Now, maybe I'm not explaining myself correctly or clearly, but what I mean by that is that. Just because there is a lot of murdered sex workers, does not necessarily mean that there is a specific serial killer targeting them. Because again, it is a occupation that carries a very high murder rate as it is. Okay, so that's that's like. That's like me saying police officers have a very high arrest rate. Well, fuck yeah, police officers have a very high arrest rate because police officers are supposed to arrest people. So, not so even though there are a lot of missing sex workers and a lot of sex workers are getting killed. It is not necessarily connected to one another, and it's not necessarily the same person, and it is not necessarily serial killers. It is a profession like a police officer, where there is a high arrest rate for that occupation of being a police officer, 
there is a high murder rate for sex workers. So I I just wanted to kind of throw that out there because I kind of feel like, you know, people are kind of glamorizing this and they're kind of not using common sense for a lot of this stuff. So according to authorities, there is no link to the Atlantic City cold case. The alleged Gilgo Beach killer is not a suspect in the 2006 Black Horse Pike murders, as some have speculated, according to Suffolk County Police Commissioner Rodney Harrison. We don't believe that the sex workers killed in Atlantic City are connected to Rex Huerman, Harrison told the New York Post. The Murderbilia Market. Okay, so let's get into that. News 12 reports that items associated with the alleged killer, like his 1977 junior high school yearbook, are already being listed for sale online. I've been dealing with the murderabilia industry for over 20-some-odd years, and one thing I've learned is that when one is is attached or charged with serial killings, items will be put up for sale, explained Crime Stoppers Director of Victim Services, Andy Cajan, who works to stop the practice. Okay, so former castmate of Rex Huberman also speaks out. I did a whole entire episode about that. Go check that out. I'll recap it a little bit um, on this episode because it's been a while since I've given you guys any updates about what is developing in the case. So several people who went to school with Rex spoke to the New York Times about their memories of him, including Bill Billy Baldwin. Now, Billy Baldwin is one of the brothers of the infamous, well, not infamous, but famous Baldwin acting brothers. There's four brothers. Alec Baldwin is the oldest and probably the most famous of the four brothers, as he's the one who's been in the most movies, and he's the one that people, when you hear of the Baldwin name, people mostly associated with Alec. Billy Baldwin, though, went to school with Rex, and he is one of the people who have spoken to the New York Times about what he remembers about Rex. Okay, so in their accounts, Huberman is portrayed as a loner who was bullied at times. But this motherfucker was tall. He's still tall. He's supposed to be like six foot four or some shit. And generally speaking, bullies don't really pick on people who are big physically big just for the fact that there is this assumption that if you're tall you're not somebody who is going to be easily bullied I mean I doubt that this guy was like five feet two in high school you know what I mean because most people they reach their full height in high school so um even if he wasn't six four in high school I'm sure he was like at least five nine five ten by the time of high school so i find it really hard to believe that he was bullied um so yeah anyway when i heard they arrested him i was not surprised at all said some guy named don who is a healthcare executive who attended burner high school with rex from kindergarten through the end of high school so this guy is somebody who went through like all the school systems with rex Okay, so Rex attended Burner High School in the 1980s, which now serves as a middle school in the Massapequa School District. So according to this Don guy, he was a recluse, very quiet. You saw him as a guy by himself. He barely spoke. 
again actor billy baldwin one of the baldwin brothers he also attended the school along with his three famous brothers expressed surprise at huberman's arrest saying he didn't think he was so weird so creepy or so unusual that it would lead to something like this i'm glad that billy spoke about it because i feel like these other people they're trying to salacious um they're trying to make this as salacious as it sounds to make it more notorious more infamous meanwhile billy baldwin he's already a celebrity he's already used to the limelight so i feel like he's being um a little bit more honest than the other people who are basically nobodies that nobody's ever heard of and this is kind of like their way of getting clout and getting their names in the newspaper getting their 15 of 15 minutes of fame getting to see their face on dateline 48 hours 2020 whatever the fuck and Billy Baldwin doesn't really need to chase that clout because he already has it. And so I take what he says um, a little bit more seriously than I do with these other people who I have no idea who the fuck they are. So according to Billy Baldwin, he stated that he didn't think that Rex was so weird or so creepy or so unusual that it would lead to something like this. And, you know, some guy named John Parisi told the Times that Rex was everybody's punching bag, but that as he grew taller in high school, he became more intimidating. You see, now this makes a little bit more sense to me because, um, I mean, this motherfucker is tall, six foot four. That's really tall. So according to this John Parisi guy, he stated, I was really scared of him. He was the type of guy, if he snapped, he could really hurt you. He said he was disillusioned and he was misguided. You had to be very careful. Okay, so I said this in my um, previous episode. Like, what the fuck is it? Was he a bully or was he intimidating? Because that's kind of like a contradiction. You're saying that he was everybody's punching bag and that he was a... Um, you know, I see somebody who was bullied, but then some other guy says, yeah, well, this guy was really fucking tall and he was very intimidating. So which one is it? Make up your mind. So it's why I hate when they interview neighbors. You know, they shouldn't interview neighbors. They should interview like freaking family or friends. None of these people were friends to him. So like they don't fucking know him. They should interview people who actually know him. Anyway. Ah, so more women have come forward with stories about meeting Huberman. Okay, Suffolk County Sheriff Errol Tulin told WCBS that additional women have come forward to the authorities with their own stories of, leg- of alleged interactions with Rex as they worked as sex workers. Their accounts will be investigated for any potential leads. My staff is really going to vet these additional females to see if they actually did come in contact with him and then see what that contact was and see if they can lead us to any possible direction, he said. Um, the Suffolk County District Attorney will lead the prosecution in an unusual move. Ray Tenary, the Suffolk County District Attorney, will lead the team that will prosecute Hurman, his office said. Tenary won't be the lead prosecutor in the case against Rex Huberman. He intends to prosecute this case fully and bring justice to the victims of his alleged serial killer of this alleged serial killer. Spokesman a spokeswoman Tiana Lopez said in a statement. Thierry previously served as a federal prosecutor in the Eastern District of New York, which is New York City. That is Manhattan. That is where, like, freaking Donald Trump, (laughs) you know, if he gets, um, 
indicted by a New York federal court. Um, that is the that is the district. That is the region, the Eastern District of New York. Um, that is where he would go to court at. Anyway, but he was not personally but he has not personally prosecuted a case since he took office in January 2022. Newsday noted that he's already taken a hands-on role in the case by presenting evidence to the grand jury that indicted Hurman and leading the prosecution at the defendant's July 14th arraignment. Okay, so the town made by Hurman's home with throngs of people descending on Huberman's home, Massapequa Park Mayor Daniel Pearl said neighbors have a lot of concerns in terms of quality of life, their safety, and their property, according to Newsday. At a community meeting on Monday night, Pearl said, and Pearl is the mayor, uh, his full name is Daniel Pearl, um, which is kind of fucking weird because isn't Dan- I, I think Daniel uh, Daniel Pearl Daniel Pearl was the guy who was killed he was a journalist that was killed by Taliban he worked for the Wall Street Journal I believe and he was like murdered he was a journalist that was murdered by the Taliban so um if that that was just something that I um remembered and but the, this guy is also named Daniel Pearl so no relations to one another, just completely two different people with the same name. But anyway, I, I went off a little bit off topic there. But when I saw the name, um, it, it just made me think of that. But anyway, so the mayor of Massapequa Park is some guy named Daniel Pearl. And um, at a community meeting on a Monday night, Pearl said that Nassau County police have committed to adding video surveillance and additional patrols to East neighbors' concerns. He said the town is also looking into the possibility of buying the property. Legally, we're getting everything lined up so the village is prepared to move forward when the time comes, he said. What it was like to work with Huberman. In a piece written for New York Magazine, Mary Shell describes her experience working at the suspect's architecture firm, RH Consultants. He famously loved guns, and we all knew that he was a collector. He would frequently invite colleagues to go hunting or shooting at the range, including one of my attractive co-workers that he seemed to mention the idea to every time they spoke. She never accepted the offer confiding in me. It sounded dangerous and creepy. My former colleagues described how he gushed about his bear hunting trips in particular, baiting an area and lying in wait. More than once, he gleefully described the process of dressing the game seeming to delight in grossing his employees out. Once at a job site, he spotted a client approaching and speaking to my boss over the phone said, target in sight. Around this time, authorities said he made another call, the first of several, to taunt the family of his latest alleged victim, Melissa Bartlivamy. Okay. So police said gawkers outside Huberman's home may be fine. Nassau County police are warning that anyone blocking traffic outside Huberman's Massapequa Park home will be issued a $150 summons. Basically, you can't stop and impede traffic, a police spokesperson told the New York Daily News. Um, 
by the way, I actually love the New York Daily News. I I read them all the time. They used to be 50 cents when I read them. They they probably cost like, I don't know, $3.50 by now or $5.50 by now. But when I used to read them, they were only 50 cents. Anyway, um, and I used to read them as a child. So I'm not that fucking old if you're wondering how old I am. I was just a child that loved to read. And um, even when I was like, 13 years old, I used to read the daily news. But anyway, um, you're supposed to know that when you get your learner's permit, there are going to be erected signs all over the block that says no stopping, no standing, no parking. He also warned journalists to stop taking photos of the home, though, as the daily news noted, it's unclear what authorities cops would have to block journalists' First Amendment rights. They can't. You, you can't say somebody can't take a picture of a home, like, <laughs> especially to a journalist. Freedom of the press. Anyway, um, Suffolk County DA details, finding, uh, details the findings from Huberman's home. Okay, so during a press conference, the Suffolk County District Attorney Ray Taneri confirmed that a search of Rex Huberman's home has been completed for all intents and purposes and that personnel will be leaving the property soon. Taneri described the home as cluttered and said that investigators retrieve a massive amount of evidence that needs to be analyzed, a process that will take a significant amount of time. Among the items taken from the home are approximately 279 weapons. We won't know exactly what we have for quite some time, just given the sheer volume of evidence that was taken, he said. Their search team made use of an excavator excavator to dig through the house's backyard and search for evidence. I don't know, maybe they thought there was dead bodies buried in the backyard but anyway through a system sense though a system sense some objects underneath the dirt Tanari said that nothing of note was discovered in the yard the question of whether any of the killings took place in, in Huberman's home remains unanswered evidence does not point either way or the other Tanari said on that point Tanari also that also said that Huberman's DNA hasn't been entered into any any national crime database because he has yes to be convicted of a crime. Additional investigations are still ongoing into Huberman's ties in other states, including South Carolina and Nevada. When asked about the South Carolina inquiry, Tenere gave no comment, saying it wasn't his jurisdiction. The district attorney also confirmed that Huberman is due back in court on August um, which he expects to be a typical court conference where discovery will be discussed. So this was uh, this this was the court appearance that already passed, where the judge denied bail and also stated that he had to give his DNA. Um, <clears throat> so you know. We already went over investigators wrapping up search of Huberman's home in my previous in one of my previous episodes. I went over a little bit of what investigators took out of the home um, and also, you know, about like the disturbance from all the freaking spectators and press and journalists that are just basically gawking at their home. And so according to police, they are um, putting cameras up on the block. We're going to have enforcement out there, vehicle and traffic enforcement, and we're going to make sure that we're not going to turn this into some kind of sideshow. Nassau County Police Commissioner Patrick Ryder told the media. 
Anyway, I'm starting to lose my voice a little bit because I've done so many recordings today. I did recordings for this podcast, my In a New York Minute podcast, which is my true crime podcast. And then I did a bunch of recordings for my uh regular NYC Gal Out podcast, which is my entertainment and pop culture and society podcast. That is, you know, where I do my recaps, my entertainment news and, you know, pop culture headline stuff. But I am going to wrap up this episode with stating that, again, everybody is presumed innocent until proven guilty. We're going to find out more as this case continues to develop. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave a review. You can listen to NYC Gal Out on Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, we're going to get into it.